but I enjoy a good road trip. I like driving places and I like going through tunnels. I don't know if you guys like going through tunnels, uh, but it's always fun if you're driving at night and you go into a dark tunnel and there's not much light and you're looking for that light at the end of the tunnel, right? Where, how are we getting through this tunnel? How much further is it going to be? Do we see a light at the end of the tunnel? And then there's the old proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know how many of you have had the privilege of retiring, but okay, I see a couple of hands pop up. I, yep, I knew the three of you would at least. Um, <laughs> I had my first retirement uh, after spending almost 20 years at Costco. Uh, I put in notice there and, and when we were going to start the church up here eight years ago. And so I kind of had that date set out there in the future. I, I don't know if the three of you had that date kind of out there. That was that light at the end of the tunnel, right? You knew where it was. You could kind of see it off in the distance. How do I get to that date, right? Some of you with little kids, little, little ones. I always talk about how my kids have grown so quickly and my baby's back there running sound. He's a senior. He's 17, almost 18. And then he's going to go to college and our house is going to be empty. All four of them will be gone. And, and in some ways, that's a light at the end of the tunnel, it's a sad one, I'll give you that, but it's still a light at the end of the tunnel. What are we going to do with that bedroom when he moves out, right? I mean, those are the kind of questions that Gwen and I might ask. Oh boy, they come back home, she says. Ellen, Ellen's giving me some hope there. Hopefully for visits, right? Thank you. <laughs> okay, so we find ourselves here. It's not the middle of the book. We're in chapter 15. There's 21 chapters, but... I don't know about you, as we've been going through this, as exciting as it's been, just like raising kids, kind of that light at the end of the tunnel where we've been beaten down a few of these weeks. And as believers, it's, it's like we know about eternity and what God has promised us, and that's awesome. We can rest in that. But there's been a lot of heavy things that we've had to talk about and discuss. Maybe even some preacher fatigue is what Kevin and I, as we were prepping this week, talked about. Kevin's the pastor down at the Lacey campus, if you don't know, but he's preaching this morning down there. And as we were talking about this chapter, we're like, man, oh, is it, is it, are we getting close to the end? Is, is, it, is it, you know, I mean, we want to get through this thing and we want to do it justice. And, and yet, you know, you've been trudging away and there's just been so much wrath uh, deserving uh, on this earth that's coming and, and, and more yet to come. And so, like, we find ourselves in this interesting chapter today. It's a pause. So we can all sit there. Everybody just deep breath. I won't do it in the microphone. Okay, chapter 15. Some aggressive preachers take 15 and 16 together. And, and I was like, no. We're going to try to go 15. And we're going to have this pause. And then I'm going to leave 16 and the final judgments. I don't want to get too far into that. For Dave next week. How about that? Thank you. Yeah, I'll be, in, I'll be doing a wedding uh, in Wichita. So I'm going to be out of state. And Dave's going to preach next week, which is awesome. But I was like, no, I'm not going to, let's just go and take this pause. Let's look towards the light at the end of the tunnel, the end of Revelation. We know Jesus Christ, amen, the light at the end of the tunnel. But let's take a look at this much needed pause that we find in Revelation 15. If you have your Bibles with me, I would invite you to open them so you can take notes in there. If you don't have a Bible, we have a grab a Bible table back there for you. I would love for you to grab a copy of God's word. 
make that your own. You can take that with you even today. So uh, again, uh, we want everyone to have a copy of God's word. We know there are a lot of great Bible apps on your phone. So if you're on your phone, I'm going to assume you're not playing Angry Birds or Pokemon or Bubble Blast that you're following along in God's word. And that's fine also. But we're going to attack all eight, (laughs) eight verses today. For some of you that have been here when we preach 50, 55 minutes, because we're going through an entire chapter, 20, 25 verses, today it's only eight. And so I hope all of you can breathe, remember what we've studied, and prepare yourself for these last few weeks. Now, in this pause, in this breath, I don't want you to miss some really beautiful things today. So it's not an invitation to sleep or, or to, to focus in on something else, but let's really look into God's word today and see what he has for us. Verse one, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. For with them, the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what happened to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hand. Verse one summarizes chapters 15 and 16. Those signs that are coming through that we've talked about, the, 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 the great and amazing wrath that has been poured out on the earth. Uh, And we've been seeing these signs, and and this one is a little bit different. Signs have been symbolic references to what God was going to do. And and God is telling John, he's speaking through John to us to teach about these signs, these end times truths. And here we are with the sign of the seven angels with seven plagues. Then I saw another sign in heaven. John sees this sign. He writes it down. Angels, seven of them. And they're holding seven plagues that will bring God's ultimate judgment, his final judgment to the earth. That's why I said this chapter, because we're not going to get to these angels. We're not going to get to these plagues. It's called the bold judgments. We'll see that later. Dave's going to get there, but John is talking about what he is seeing, okay? And I think that's why a lot of pastors will preach 15 and 16 together, because it does roll together, but I think there's a lot of important stuff here. So that's what John is describing, these bull judgment, and, and, and how widespread they're going to be. Remember in the first judgment, different things affected a third of the earth, a third of the water, a third of this. These will be final, right? And these judgments will be targeting the beast, his kingdom, right? And, 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 and just everything that he has set up here on this earth in the end times. And, and we are going to see that, the, that God's ultimate judgment will come on to them. God doesn't hold back here. He, he says that, the, or John says these are great and amazing. Those are the words that he uses to describe them because what he writes at the end of this verse, we'll see these seven angels and these seven plagues are final. They're the final judgment. 
They're the end. These are going to be the worst. They're going to showcase God's finishing wrath. His mighty power. We talk about seeing God's power in our lives, and amen, we do. We can point to God's hand in our lives, and, and we see that. Hopefully on a daily basis, you're giving God praise for what he's doing in your life. Here, God's going to, he's going to ultimately wipe out evil. This is going to be great and mighty works. And John wants us to know that. He says it's great and amazing what he sees there. They're getting worse and worse, each judgment. And this is the final judgment. The end is coming for all who stand against the Lord God Almighty. So don't overlook the importance of this verse. God's patience will run out. I think we as a church know that, but sometimes we don't allow it to affect our thinking. God is merciful. He's long-suffering. He's patient with us as we wander. And sometimes I think we let that kind of just allow us to not take sin seriously not take evangelizing to our neighbors or our friends or our coworkers seriously because God is patient, right? And yet in the end, God's patience will run out. His loving kindness and mercy-filled rebukes that he has given in the hopes of repentance will end. There will be no more chances but you know what? These humans, they've had opportunity after opportunity throughout the tribulation. We've already studied that. If you've been with us, you know that. If you haven't, trust me. God has given them multiple opportunities to repent. These people have chosen to follow the Antichrist, the prophet, the kingdom that he will set up on this earth. These people do not want God. And this is the last time. The end is coming. The lesson that we can take from that, even as believers, though, is we need to be on top of how we are living. We need to be repentant of sins that we may have allowed to creep into our lives. We need to identify those things. We need to change our way. Because the Lord loves us enough to not allow us to continue on in sin. Even as believers. The Lord, it says in the Bible, disciplines those whom he loves. We are cautioned in the New Testament to avoid presumptuous sins. Well, I know I can sin. I can be angry at my wife and sin in anger because God will forgive me. That's a truth from scripture. God will forgive me. If I repent of that, if I ask of it, and it might allow me to, and that's not what we should do as believers. The Lord discipline whom he, whom he loves, he loves you, he chose you, he wants the best for you, and living in unrepentant sin is not the best for you. So although we're talking about an end time uh, uh, situation, we got to see how that applies to you and I today. And if, if we're reading this correctly, in light of the rest of Scripture, God's discipline can fall and will fall on believers who are unrepentant. So for you and I today, we need to take sin seriously. 
We need to turn back to God. It's not like we've lost our salvation or that he's left us. But we've turned in our rebellion and I've chosen this sin, whatever it might be. And I'm going to continue on in it. And God is still here. We need to turn back to God instead of continuing on turning our back to God, right? So we need to turn. We need to repent. And that's what that means. And so today, if you're sitting out there and you're struggling with something, you're not alone. You're not alone. And yet God is calling you to repent from that sin, to change your way, not because he's a cosmic killjoy, not because he doesn't want you to have fun, but he knows what's best for you. Do you believe that church today that God knows what's best for you? Amen. So why do we struggle with that so much? And my hand's in the air with your guys. We need to be a people who repent quickly when we sin. We need to move back to God because God knows what's best for us. He, he has a plan and he wants us to live in that best life. Verse 2. We've got to keep moving on here. and Because I, I said it was only eight verses and then I, I, I spent a lot of time there. Okay. John sees this glass sea. We've seen this before in chapter 4, verse 6. The difference, we see it up there, mingled with fire. John sees this sign. He sees the glass sea. It's in front of God's throne. If you turn your pages back to Revelation 4, 6, you'll see in front of the throne, there's a sea of glass. But now we see the judgment, the theme of this book, what's happening now sprinkles throughout everything. The symbols, symbols of this judgment that's coming are, are slashing themselves throughout all the visions that John is having. We see fire in the sea of glass. The end of verse 2 reads, Also, those who had conquered the beast and his image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps in, uh, the, of God in their hands. John describes what he sees there. And he sees those who had conquered the beast. And you may say, but pastor, the beast is still reigning on earth, right? He's still ruling and reigning. His kingdom set up. Yes, he is. These are the martyrs. Not necessarily martyrs from throughout time, but specifically from this time of the tribulation. They have stood firm. They've come to know God after the rapture, I believe. Okay, so the rapture... God will come down. Jesus Christ, I should say, will come down, redeem his people, bring his people home. Then the tribulation starts. There will be people who will come to know God during that time. And they will have to choose whether to stay on the path of following God or this antichrist, this beast, and everything that, that, that comes into play with that. Like we looked at over the last few weeks. The idea of even getting to the place where if you don't worship the beast... And the kingdom that he has set up, that you won't be able to buy food. You will not be able to make uh, uh, transactions so that you can have sustenance in your life. It's going to be a crazy time. Well, they resisted the easy way of following the beast, the, the prophet, the false prophet, I should say, the Antichrist, because they had the real thing. They had met Jesus Christ during this tribulation. They had placed their faith in him. This is awesome, right? But they had given their lives instead of living a life of compromise. In the end times, there will be people who have to make a choice. Do I abandon my faith, my newly found faith? Do I lie? Do I cheat somehow? 
or do I stand firm on my commitment and my decision? And these people that John sees here are those who stood firm and they gave their life for the cause of the gospel. They laid down what they could not keep to gain what they could never earn. If you think about it, they didn't win, at least not in the world's eyes or in the world's way of winning. They died for the sake of the cross. They overcame the beast and all of, his, all of the evilness and the, the empire and the false prophet and everything that's going on. And they gave up their earthly life to gain what could not be taken away, eternity with God. It's beautiful. They chose correctly, and now in this vision, they stand next to the sea. They reserved their worship for God. They're in his throne room, worshiping God, and not a cheap imitation here on this earth. Now, again, we're looking for applications in our own lives. We're not living in the tribulation. This isn't the end time. That could start any time, but we don't know when that's going to be. And, and so we're not going to live in fear of that. But how does this relate to me? How can I apply this to me today? Have you or have you had the privilege to know someone who has suffered? And when I'm talking about suffering, I'm talking about health or loss or standing, or prestige, anything that we could have gained potentially, or at least the appearance of gain on this earth. They suffer, but in their suffering, whether it's a loss of a loved one, or, or health, or a job, or their financial status, they suffer, but in their suffering, they praise. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but think about that for a minute. Is there someone that you know that no matter how bad life gets, no matter how hard the world seems to be pounding this person down, they still love their Savior? And they talk about Jesus. And they talk about what God's doing in their life. And through this situation, how God continues to show his faithfulness. I hope you have somebody in your life that you've seen do that. I hope that you personally, no matter how big or how small the suffering or the loss or the trial, the tribulation is in your life, that you have been able to walk through with that sort of faith. They worship the one who will deliver on his promise. Amen? Yeah. The Antichrist won't. He's been lying. He's been deceiving. He hasn't changed since the beginning of time. Right? The dragon, the devil, the beast. This story's not going to change. We may know people who suffer immensely due to this, the evil in this world, and yet they keep their eyes on eternal things. The light at the end of the tunnel, right? They worship the creator rather than mourning the created. These are those kind of people. These people standing around the sea. They gave up their life to honor their savior. Now they stand by the sea, holding their harp, ready to worship. And that's where we go to next. Check this out. Verse three. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, 
and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come to you and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. We see here the song of Moses. As he exited out of Egypt, the exodus, these are words and thoughts that that were sung by the children of Israel. Deliverance, redemption. When the children of Israel were saved from Pharaoh, these were the kind of things that they sang to their God in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. We talk about the gospel being woven throughout scripture. And here we see God redeem his children. This seemingly impossible becomes a song, right? It's incredible. How are we ever going to get out of Egypt? Go back and, and read the story in Exodus. It seems like it'll never happen. And yet God redeems his children in an incredible way. And it becomes a song, right? And and we see that in Egypt and God's redemption of his children, a foreshadowing of what the lamb, Jesus Christ, right, would accomplish on the cross. This is pretty cool. He's going to redeem his children, right, through the blood that's shed on the cross. Anyone that accepts that free gift... They're saved. They're children of God. They've gone from death to life. It's secure. And and he redeems his children from the pangs of sin and rebellion. Now, sin and rebellion and death and hurt will continue until Jesus comes again. But it won't hurt as bad because we have the one who has the power to forgive And we see that in this song. In this song, it's actually two songs, redemption, deliverance. Uh, We see it's the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And those who perished at the hand of the beast sing this song loudly. It's a victory song. This song acknowledges God for who he is and what he has done, his amazing deeds. It elevates his person and his work. In order to worship God more fully, we need to know God. I I hope that's why you're here this morning. You come to church, you want to get to know God a little bit more. You want to maybe find out some practical ways of moving down the discipleship path, becoming a little bit more like Jesus, looking a little bit more like Jesus every day, right? So we need to know God. We need to read his word. We need to absorb the stories of love and mercy Right? That is extended to his people. We need to read those things. We need to understand them. We need to know them. God is faithful. We need to praise him for his faithfulness. God is good. We need to praise him for his goodness. If you don't know God yet, or or if you're newer to Christianity, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you haven't spent a ton of time in God's word, You need to get to know him because you want to know what his deeds are because his deeds point back to his character. Who is God? Well, look at who he is, what he says, what he does. 
right? Read the Bible for yourself. Sunday morning is not enough. I appreciate each and every one of you coming here and engaging in God's word and suffering through my preaching, hoping that Dave piles up here. No, I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying. You come to church, you want to hear God's word, you want to learn something, but you can't just then leave today and not engage with God's word the rest of the week until next Sunday. That's not enough. God has so much more for you and you can do it. And he wants you to. So you read the Bible. You process these stories firsthand. Now, there are some incredible books written. I would say, read your Bible first. You've got to be in God's word. But there are books that will help you understand who God is. A couple that I would recommend, Knowing God, right, by Packer, and Knowledge of the Holy by Tozer, to name a couple. I've got some other ones. If you've already read those and are interested in something else, Come talk to me. But find a book that discusses the character of God and that points you back to Scripture. Right? So take your time reading the book. When he points out a Scripture, grab your Bible, open it up, read that section. Know God. Because then when something bad happens to you, you can point back to God's faithfulness, his goodness, how he's brought other people through and their testimony And how you have faith and confidence that whether on this side or in eternity, God is going to bring you through that. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's where I want my faith to go. John talks about God's work as being just and true. He is perfect in dealing with evil and with his people. He is glorified for being holy and being God and a God who cares for the nations. He is worthy of worship. He is righteous and his ways are apparent to man. These people lived through the Antichrist or at least part of that time, all of his evil till they were killed. Now they are able to compare it to God's righteousness and his goodness from what they saw and this is what they sing. Right? They've, they've been fully revealed to God. They are in heaven. They see God and they sing a redemption song. So church, today, how much time do you spend thinking about God? Do you meditate on him, his acts, his goodness, his good deeds? Do you think about the death of his son on the cross for you? That Jesus came to this earth to die for you because he loves you. And he didn't stay dead. He rose on that third day. And and through the, the, the blood that was shed, the payment for our sin, we can spend eternity with God in heaven. This is what God did for you. This is what needs to be on our mind. This should inspire worship and awe. Knowing God for who he is and what he's done allows us to fully rest in him no matter what's going on around us. And that's the life I hope for each one of you. And that's the life that I'm hoping to head towards also. Being able to rest in God's goodness. Let's look at these last couple verses today. Celebrate God's final judgment. 
After this, I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came these seven angels with these seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. In this chapter alone, he has said, I saw twice. And now he's saying, I looked. To me, it's almost like the first two were descriptions of the scene. And now John witnesses this future act. What we're talking about in 16, next week, the pastor Dave gets to preach, right? John is a prophetic witness to these things, just like the judgment that has come down on the earth already. And then after a few chapters, uh, uh, we're going to see the timeline advance to the end, right? Revelation gives us the entire picture. And we get to see that through John. We get to see what takes place in this final chapter of the judgment coming next week. But he says the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. Okay, this is another Exodus theme. We were talking about the Exodus earlier on. Uh, As the establishment amongst his people, God uh, created or had them create this tent of witness where the presence of God dwelled as they were moving through, as they were moving through the desert, basically from Egypt to the promised land. And God dwelt in that tent, tabernacle. And here we see it's in heaven where God dwells anyways. The difference though, is that it seems that there's a, a temple in heaven that John sees, right? The tent was, was temporal. They moved it along. The, they were able to, to, to worship God outside the tent. Here we see uh, heaven and we see a tent tabernacle and we see worship of God in his presence So it was established in the Old Testament, at the Exodus, but it's been going on in heaven probably before that and throughout eternity. So the idea wasn't new that Moses had to send up the tent, but it's probably been in heaven since the beginning of time. Out of this tent, though, out of this sanctuary comes seven angels with seven plagues. So God's victory is assured. We've known that for the beginning of the book. Even though we've known that, we're looking at how it's going to take place. And, and it's assured in this battle. He will forever reign. And sin and Satan will be demolished. It'll be gone. Right? And so we see these angels coming out of this tent. Smoke filling the room. And then we see a description of what they're wearing. Now, not to make light of this scene. This is an incredible scene. And it's only by the grace of God that John was able to witness this and write this down, right? A couple times falling to his knees, right? Falling out. To see God, to see what he's going to do is incredible. So I don't, I'm not trying to make light of this, but it did remind Kevin and I a little bit of, of the beginning of a Seahawks game. Okay. Now look at, look at what's here, right? The team comes out of the tunnel, 
Smoke machines are rolling, right? Fireworks are going off. Okay, this is incredible. And like I said, if I was witnessing this, I think I would be face down on the ground. Okay, I don't think I could watch this. But this is what's going on in heaven with an even more intensity. If you're a sports fan, I hope you're getting what I'm trying to throw down. If you're not, I apologize. But I'm telling you, it gets crazy loud, right? And, and, and you got these people dressed in their uniforms, which is so cool to see coming out of the tunnel. And, and they're, they're, they're ready to do what needs to be done for the team. Well, look at here. Their jerseys, okay, their jerseys are clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. Clean, shining linen was the standard dress code required in the tent that we were talking about earlier. The Holy of Holies, right, for the priests, okay? So what God's people were doing on earth and trying to do uh, as best as they could to honor their God is what's been going on in heaven, right? We know this from Ezekiel chapter 44, that the temple, it it symbolized purity and righteousness. And what's really interesting is that these angels have attire that's nearly identical to Jesus Christ as described back in chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 13. This is what Jesus was wearing. So all of a sudden, what we were talking about kind of broke down a little bit. It's almost more like, okay, what about when we go to the games and we put on our jerseys, right? Nobody's going to confuse me for a, a, a Seahawk player, right? Ever. No matter what jersey number I put on, even if I put on my son's football pads and walk into the stadium, they're not going to let me out onto the field, right? Well, that's the same thing here. They're wearing the same attire that Jesus did, but they are his angels ready to help out. Their clothing fits their purpose, which is to purify the earth. We saw the, the idea of purity and righteousness in the tent and what was going on with God's people. The Lord is going to judge humankind quickly and severely. And that's what we see in these last four verses leading up to chapter 16 that we're going to look at next week. One of the four creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with God's wrath they are messengers of God's wrath they are bringing it they are they are the bearers of it they're full of it the the wrath of God these bowls are this is fearsome to be sure of at, at least for Satan and for his following for all of those who have rejected Christ But for those who have trusted Jesus, we will never have to taste that wrath because Jesus Christ did that for us. Yeah, amen. On the cross, Jesus Christ took the full wrath of God for your and my sin. And so when we talk about sin and repenting from it, it's a concept that we can think about and go, yeah, I probably probably should stop doing what I'm doing. And yet if we see that it cost Jesus Christ his life, he was nailed to the cross for your sin and for mine because he took all the wrath of God upon himself. The wrath that is going to destroy this world at the end of time, Jesus Christ willingly took for you and I. And for us, those of us who have trusted in Jesus, we'll never have to taste the wrath of God. Because he did that for us. 
Amen. Emphasis here is, is given to the eternality of God when John writes, God who lives forever and ever. Again, something we've talked about since the beginning of this book and, and in other studies that we've done, God existing forever and he will forever. Understanding that God is eternal and not just something that we've created is important to really understanding his judgment. Sin and rebellion is against God and his eternal character. The other thing we we think of, though, when we think about God's eternal character, it reminds us of his mercy. He has been long-suffering. He is letting people come to him. He is drawing people unto himself, people who are living in rebellion and sin. God is bringing unto himself instead of just wiping everyone out. We don't know how long it will be until the end, but he has been patient for thousands of years. But this is the end here. We see that. This is the end of his forbearance. The seven bold judgments will be severe and they will be final. The end of this verse, and the, and the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. Smoke here uh, is, is often associated with judgment throughout scripture. Uh, and we, we've seen that before. And, and it will come in both his glory and his power and his wrath upon sin. And it appears uh, that God clears the room here. No one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Okay? This, this breath before the final judgment, this pause ends, right? And now we have stuff to look forward to next week. We see here that God clears the room and he is ready to act in final judgment. The judgment that's coming to this world will be final. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and the cross, the sacrifice that was paid, will spend eternity with God in heaven. And for a lot of you, I know a lot of you, and I know that that's your story, that that's your testimony, that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you trust him for your eternal salvation, and you will spend eternity with God. But if you haven't made that decision yet, today might be that day for you. Jesus Christ came to this earth because he loved you. Even in your sin, even in your rebellion, he loved you. And God sent his son as the perfect sacrifice. The one true final sacrifice. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sins of mankind upon him so that whoever believes in him might not perish. And that word perish there is, it's, an eter- it's not just death, it's eternal separation from God. He gave his life so that if you believe, you might not perish, but you can have eternal life with God in heaven. So if that's you today and, and, and you're thinking for the first time, I, I believe this, I understand this, I, I, I think I get this. All the years of hearing about Jesus are starting to make sense to me. Uh, I would invite you to 
even right now, just close your eyes and, and simply pray to God and say, hey, I, I, I give up myself, selfishness, a life about me, and I want to I wanna follow you. I want to give up the sins and the rebellion that seemed to tangle me up and cause me so much trouble for a life of freedom that's only found in you. And I know that there's nothing that I can do on this earth that will be enough. And so I'm going to rest on your blood that was shed on the cross. Coming to Jesus Christ is that simple. It's an acknowledgement of who you were and who you can become through what he has done. Now, a Christian walk and Christian life, there's a lot to, lot to do. But that moment in time when you surrender to him is set. And so if that's you this morning, I pray that you'll talk to somebody. Maybe somebody that you came with. Maybe somebody that uh, is here today that you would feel comfortable going and talking to. If you have more questions, you want to come talk to one of the pastors after the, the sermon, after the, the worship time, we would love to talk to you. But don't leave today without getting those questions answered that you might have. If Holy Spirit is drawing you unto himself, don't resist.